Free Brooklyn. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Today is January 14th, and this is Objection to the Rule. Coming up, President Trump allegedly used some very offensive vulgarities to describe Haiti, El Salvador, and African countries during talks on immigration. We'll talk about the comments and why they matter, especially as our government continues the debate over DACA, immigration policy, and the proposed border wall. And could you imagine getting an emergency alert that says a missile attack was imminent? That's what happened in Hawaii this weekend. And it was all a false alarm. Plus, we'll tackle the topic of celebrities running for president and discuss if someone's celebrity impact or celebrity impact should have a status. That's coming up on Objection to the Rule Live. Welcome to another edition of Objection to the Rule Live. I'm Ori Givens, joined by Rosie Mysteri in the studio. How's it going, Rosie? Hello, wonderful. So today we have got a few different topics going on. We'll start with the news. We are. It was an interesting weekend for the residents of Hawaii when they received a missile alert on their phones that said an attack was imminent. And fortunately, that alert was false, but it was something that caused a lot of panic. I remember seeing comments from people I know out there, you know, just wondering what's going on. And apparently it took a little bit of time before everybody got the word that things were okay. You know, considering all the news that we've had about the discussions over North Korea and and those threats, and then the idea that, you know, we live in this digital age, this technological age where we get so much of our information notified through our phones. You know, it's curious to think, like, what would you do, Rosie, if you got this message just on your phone saying that a missile was coming? What would go through your mind? You know, I think that um, I would probably not take it seriously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I would feel like um, I'm constantly plugged into the news. And mm-hmm. so I feel like um, if I had received an alert, and there was nothing going on to the uh, on in the news service that I was surrounded by. Mm-hmm. I would, I mean, I would probably if I got the uh, if I got this, I would look it up to see if yeah. what's going on, or I probably call in. I probably wouldn't panic because the chances are, if I were under attack, uh, there's not something I could instantaneously do in yeah. order to protect myself. I would have to wait for instructions. Yeah, and that's the thing. This this system, the emergency broadcast system, I'm sure everybody's heard the messages that typically go out over cable, over now cell phones, and also there's air raid sirens or um, what used to, I think they're they're now called notification sirens, but they used to be called air raid sirens. But you know, there's a system in place that the federal government partners with various different agencies to alert people if there is some sort of you know widespread emergency. You'll hear them for national natural disasters. You'll hear them, you know, in this case for a missile launch or missile attack that wasn't actually happening. You know, 
the comments that have come afterward from, you know, the governor and from the senators that are in Hawaii is that we need to look at this system because it caused a lot of panic. A lot of people were worried and you don't know what to do. You know, I've been reading kind of the aftermath stories of people that are just like, we didn't know what to do. Um, do you think that this system, you know, what do you think they can do with this system to make it work a little better? Apparently, the cause of this was some employee actually accidentally hitting a button. I mean, do you think that you should be able to accidentally hit a button that causes this type of notification to go out to a whole state? You know, sometimes I wish the government would learn to lie better because yeah. I feel like I have heard this from every kind of government. Oh, he slipped yeah. on a piece of soap in jail and died or, you know, these random uh, excuses that kind of make sense are possible, but, you know, could never be possible. Yeah. And I feel like I think the system was hacked. That was my first thought when yeah. I heard about it. I thought, have we been hacked so that somebody can send out an alert? to a group of people, uh, to a whole region that were under attack. And that was my first thought. And I wasn't, I don't think some employee could really set out that alert. That would, there probably is all these channels that you have to go through because this is a serious alert. You're yeah. going to cause panic. Well, I would, I would hope, you know, I don't know the process in depth. I don't know, but I know that, you know, I've worked in communications and when we send out things, there's a whole checklist of procedures. There's, there's checks and balances. There's things that you have to do before you send out a communication. I would imagine this button is just not like a big red button that's sitting on a desk that you say, hit me and send out an alert. You know, I feel like there's got to be more to that. You know, speculation just tells me there's, there's got to be more. So for somebody to just accidentally hit it does seem a little strange. If we're sophisticated enough to create a, a system where we can alert a, a large groups of people, region based about an emergency. So then we sh then we are at least advanced enough to create a system of checks on it, because it's I mean, is this the same thing with that so-called button the nuclear arms button can mm -hmm. anyone just go in and accidentally like melania could be leaning on it and right, then press and then the button off. and sorry that was an accident it, it it does seem a little the the story does seem a little bit odd you know we have to wonder like just and if and if that is the case then they definitely have to look at this procedure you know i would imagine that you know somebody would click the button and then somebody else with a higher security level would then approve the notification like i feel like there should at least be that kind of two-step process and if there is an emergency, let's say there is an emergency, then a group of people would be in this room deciding that it's now an emergency mm -hmm. and now we have to, there's a protocol. Mm -hmm. And I would be curious to see their manual yeah. where it's, it tells us, well, what happens in this case and how does the procedure go to the point where we press that button? Because Absolutely. I refuse to believe that you could just accidentally press it. And usually these regional, these regional control operations, you know, places, the, you know, they usually have buildings where they have all of the different, I was actually in one um, over the week, where they have all these different places for people from various different organizations. So when they're doing types of joint operations exercises, like in, in severe weather or, or, you know, impending disaster, they, they have all these people kind of in the same place. So if somebody was there and then somebody hit that button, wouldn't there have been somebody else that would also been there to be like, what what's going on, you know? And then why was there so much of a delay? There are so many questions, I think. I mean, it's deeply disconcerting whether it was a hack or whether it was an accident or whatever excuse it is. It shows that our system is vulnerable and that somebody could use this to their advantage. Getting people in a panic, large groups of people in a panic 
where they're not sure what to do and they're just kind of like distracted means that somebody could come in and do something horrible mm -hmm. while this is all happening. And to me, that is the most disconcerting part. I'm, I mean, I, am, I do wonder what actually caused it, whether it was the accident or whatever. But at the same time, it's even more urgent because this could make us really very vulnerable. Absolutely. And it, you know, it, it, it could also cause people to not trust the notification system. You know, if somebody's looking at it, they'll look at it and they'll say, oh, I know I get alerts on my phone all the time. I ignore most of them. So, you know, this idea that it could be so vulnerable that it a could be hacked, potentially hacked. We don't know that, but it's possible. Or it could be that somebody just could accidentally just set it off. It makes you lose confidence in the system. And I feel like people that that's not something that you want, you know, with something like this, something with such an important job to do. Let's change topics a little bit because it's it's a little weird. It's a little scary to have that that notion. I'm glad that the people of Hawaii are safe. There was no imminent threat. That's that's the main point here. Um, so the Wall Street Journal reported that Trump's lawyer Michael Cohen orchestrated a deal to pay an adult film star Stephanie Clifford one hundred and thirty thousand dollars to stay quiet about a two thousand six affair with now President Trump. The hush money deal took place a month before the election. Clifford was working with Slate on a story about the relationship until the deal went through. And Slate chose not to publish that story without consent. So, you know, several major outlets reported on this story. It is it news? Is it newsworthy? Why? Why do we care? I think is my first question. I think that this is I didn't when I first heard about it, I thought we've already heard things of this nature about the current president. And it's such a distracting story mm -hmm. that I feel that lately I, my whole philosophy about with the news is, is that if, if it's something personal, like a sex scandal or whatever kind of a scandal of vulgarity, which happens daily, mm -hmm. which I'm sure we'll get to at some point in the oh, show, yeah. I now ignore it because this is, this is what's going on. And I, and I ignore it because it's almost a distract. I feel like there's a distraction tactic happening mm -hmm. that every time something important is about to happen, then some like um, some adult entertainment happens. Mm -hmm. And I, and I start looking at that instead of looking at the very important things that are going on. So I feel like there's, I feel like there's a deliberate uh, distraction tactic. So I've learned to start ignoring stuff like that because I feel like, I, I don't care anymore about. I think that's fair. I think there is, you know, we we get inundated with so much information about, you know, not only what's going on in the White House and in Washington, but kind of all of the ancillary topics that tend to pop up um, like this one. And we have to, in our minds, I guess, figure out what's important to us and what's important, you know, to know about this presidency. And Considering all of the different information that we have about the president and about the administration, I guess, you know, there this might be newsworthy from the sense that, you know, we had the comments from the election period. We have his history that people have talked about with regard to women. So, you know, in context, I can understand why it's reportable information. But then it's also it is kind of salacious and you wonder if it really matters in the context of we need to be talking about immigration, which is happening and these discussions that are happening and so many other different things. Rachel, what do you think? Um, I agree with what you said. Uh, it's, it's worth reporting on. Um, is It's not, it, it's something that could be distracting um, 
away from more important pressing issues, things of nas- national and international import. Um, I think it's in keeping with his character, the story that's not surprising. Um, you know, Donald Trump's been in the public eye for a long time, and this is kind of keeping with with patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, if one were trying to um, demonstrate flaws in character, like if you're trying, maybe, you know, um, if, if the Democratic and, and basically non-Republican parties were trying to to reach Trump's base and 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 demonstrate and make the case for hey this this is not who you think this is you know if anyone who's on the fence about Trump yeah um, I can understand wanting to um, you know make make public push this story because it's like hey right. hey if 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 you're not convinced yet look at this here's another you know instance of he did something that's you know, not in keeping with what he says he mm-hmm. is and says he does. Um, but yeah, I think it's reportable, but not necessarily the most important thing we need to focus on right yeah. now. I'm and, not at all surprised you did this, you know. And and I'm sure, you know, and the, you know, allegations aside, this, this information, I'm sure there are a lot of people um, that, that don't find an issue with this, whether, you know, if it was true, if it's true, they wouldn't care anyway, you know, just because of all of the history that we have and knowing how, you know, certain parts of the country react to that type of news. So it, it, it's interesting that it came up at this time. I wonder if there was another, you know, reasoning or timing, you know, that they figure that they would release this information. Um, but it, it is worth at least exploring, I guess, from a certain point. So, you know, before we go to break, I just think it's we're, we're going to talk about coming up the um, the comments. We're going to talk about, you know, during these immigration discussions, the what came out, what Trump said, which I don't know. I haven't yet decided if I'm going to say on the air um, and why this is important in the context of the discussions that we're having about immigration. And I'm also going to play some music from one of our bands that's coming up in the February showcase for RFB Presents First Thursdays at the Well. It's on February 1st. Um, So you're going to hear a little bit of Karen and the Sorrows here on Objections to the Rules. So stay tuned. Sing. 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule live on Radio Free Brooklyn. That was Karen and the Sorrows, music from their album, The Narrow Place. You can hear them plus Tatters and Rags and Nightmare River Band on February 1st at RFB Presents First Thursdays at the Well. Check out our Facebook page for more information. So take a big, big breath for this one. Um, if you've been watching the news this week, uh, you might have heard that there are many news personalities that had to tackle a word that they've never really had to use on the air. It was very interesting watching CNN and seeing the word plastered across the bottom of the screen. I'm not going to mention the word, but you feel free to use the word if you would like. Uh, it's not a good one. It's something whole. But many outlets were citing that sources who were in the bipartisan meeting on immigration this past week said that President Trump referred to certain countries using this very vulgar word, and it caused many to reiterate that the president holds racist views, and those views, especially in the context of things like the border wall, could be what's shaping immigration policy. Now, Trump has taken to Twitter to deny that he specifically used that word, but there have been many sources that were in the meeting that came out and said that he not only used it, but used it a few times. So, I'm curious what you thought about the comments. Um, what do you thought about his alleged use of those comments? And we'll start there. What did you think, Violet? <clears throat> uh, despicable and exhausting, I guess <laughs> I, I would say. You know, despicable is it's just like, first of all, it's like no sense of uh, historical impact of these communities. It's just sort of blindly racist and xenophobic mm-hmm. Uh and then it's just it's another one of Trump's completely inappropriate uh, actions in office. You know, it's unbefitting of the role. And again, we have to deal with it because he continues to be president. Yeah. Any thoughts? I mean, it was obviously it was inappropriate. And I remember I was that day I was listening to Brian Lair, mm-hmm. WNYC. And he said, I can't say that word because there are babies listening. Mm-hmm. And I don't want those babies listening to hear this word and you know it's not like we are a bunch of prudes in this country it's just a very not only is it a vulgar word that is just trashy in itself but it's also um disparaging it's like a word you can throw out to talk about a whole continent of people Mm -hmm. you know as if every every uh country in africa is exactly the same, which is mm-hmm. not. They don't even speak the same languages. Some countries have like South Africa has 11 official languages, not to mention like the 30 or more mm-hmm. on top of that. And so t- and all these other ethnic groups. And and they even proved like Nigerian immigrants who come to this country have a higher um, income median than the average American. Mm-hmm. So and they are also highly educated as well. And so, and the same thing with Ethiopians, you know, and um, I think to have said that is just another, we we don't need more proof for this, but it's proof that the current president is very ignorant and that he is also compromising the safety of a lot of Americans because I read that one diplomat in one of the African countries, I can't remember which one, was summoned by the president of that country and asked, are we one of these, whatever the word is, mm-hmm. countries? And I feel that person was put on the spot and is endangering the lives of all these people. And I wish that there was more thought put into whatever comes out of his mouth. And and I think that is like the, the serious part of this is that there is just running off the ma- uh, running off the mouth. And that's kind of, you know, I've had I heard a similar story from a friend that is, 
working in the um, USAID in Haiti. And her boss was summoned as well to meet with the leadership there and to talk about these comments. And, you know, she was getting barraged with press requests and the, the headlines in the country were talking about what was said. What's that ripple effect mean, you know, for the United States, for our image in the world? Well, um, we, I think the part of the ripple effect, we've already seen um, one diplomat resign. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's already, it's, it's happening. Um, our other nations' attitudes towards us, or at least towards him, have been shifting. I think we see this every time he's on. Uh, he's meets. He's met with other uh, global world leaders at summits. I will say, um, I think Trump's use of profanity um, and use of profanity in a disparaging way is nothing new. He did this at all his rallies, mm-hmm. at many of his rallies when he was campaigning. This is nothing new, but he's also um, not just the actual swearing, cursing, <laughs> the actual mm-hmm. word that we heard, but also um, and. I will, I'll repeat this as like quoting the president thing about like entire, na- everyone from an entire nation has AIDS. These, this, this is the stuff that like really catches my attention because mm-hmm. this is the kind of, yeah, running off at the mouth, but like uh, sw- sweeping generalizations about an entire populace that, that this is, you know, this, I don't know how to say xenoph- what else yells, screams xenophobia at someone. I mean, it's, it's, it's inappropriate for anyone, let alone someone holding office. But of course, I mean, it is, does follow the pattern because true to form, he denied ever saying it. But I, I mean, a certain, I mean, when, when news outlets won't directly quote him because they feel a greater sense of responsibility than he seems to have as, as a public figure, you know, mm-hmm. not recognizing that there are, you know, here the president, children in classrooms are, you know, looking at your speeches. It's, you're part of, it's civics class now. You know, you, you can't be... <laughs> Everything you say when you're in that office is a matter of public record unless right. it's, you know, confidential. And if it's, he- when you say things in the public or you say things overheard by journalists or overheard by, you know, other legislators, these are things that are going to get talked about. And that impact is really important to understand. Yeah, he, I don't think... Um, and he may never grasp this, the fact that Donald Trump may never... It may never sink in with him that you, you can't get away with certain things now than the way you used to but he can i mean he continues to right like people from his cabinet resign and people from the government resign and he gets condemnations all around but he's still in office and he's still doing all these things yeah i think you know what to say that like because i've i've struggled with that whole question like how do when do we get to that point where like where somebody does away with him somehow and i don't understand how well, he in a, can, in a legal way in a legal way in, or you know, you know like what i'm not going to speak for the unscrupulous people but like yes in a legal way as well and i wonder how can he keep doing this i feel like if i were him i would he's gonna get, i don't think he's gonna make it four years he's gonna get a stroke <laughs> he's i don't he, he's gonna quit there's no way he could keep this up every day for four years it's just not possible well speaking of that he did apparently have a really good evaluation from the white house doctor this past week yeah. we'll get the details of it next he's week but he's in excellent health apparently but we're in the context of discussions about immigration about how we're shaping our immigration policy whether or not we are going to build a wall across the bottom of our nation if we're going to allow thousands of undocumented youth that have been in this country since birth or very young remain in the country under deferred action for childhood arrivals or DACA. So there's so much contextually that's happening. I heard today that I believe he he tweeted and, and I don't want to quote me on this, but he tweeted that this could be the end of DACA, you know, that the discussions and the fallout and 
you know, the fact that he's now blaming this all on the Democrats could be the end of this program for all of these people. So what do you think, you know, do you think that 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 is possible? Do you think that they'll now be able to come together and have this continue these these bipartisan discussions? Or is it seeming like he's upset, you know, that he got called out about a word and now this is going to be the end of the pathway to citizenship for these these young people and could mean more restrictive policies for immigration for the entire nation? Well, I've noticed that whenever he tends to look bad, he cre- a news story comes out, just like the porn star comes out, and it allows him to be indignant, and he, he doesn't back down. I think that he just goes through, bulldozes, and does what he wants even more without any sort of agreement. And I think that unless the legislators stop him, which the majority of Repu- the Republican Party in general would want to do away with DACA and with the Republican party wanting to do away with DACA and the president not caring at all and proving it through his language, then I think that it's going to be the same as the tax bill. doesn't matter how many Democrats are against are against it, no matter how many people are against it and who's going to be affected. It's just going to, it's going to end. I, you know, I, I've read, I know there's still litigation to try and save DACA or elements of it. Um, which basically at the at its core is providing compassion and some stability for young people who mm-hmm. are here not by their own choice mm-hmm. or they may choose to stay here. I mean that this is what this is about. This is about people's lives. I th- we we shouldn't overlook that. But um, I think this administration and um, not just Trump specifically, but the administration um, and the Republican Party are very anxious to appear as if they've accomplished a big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that like the tax bill, that was about like, we, we need to look like we passed some, something, even how, you know, look at the tax bill and we, we discussed it on this show. There's been a lot of reporting on it, how convoluted it is. And it's like, they just, you know, why on earth would someone vote for this? We, we got to look like we're passing something. And if, if it's not tax bill, it's going to be something else. It's like sort of big and DACA is big. And I think there's a lot of rallying and a lot around it. Um, because it's like th- there's just this need for f- on the right to. Uh, it's like a check mark. It, it, we need to box. look like we got something done, mm-hmm. even if well, we, I mean, if, even if what you got done doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, or, and know. to be fair, you know, once that did pass, the headlines were, you know, they accomplished. This is the most. This is a major accomplishment by the administration. This is one of the biggest things that they've been able to accomplish. So it's kind of feeding that idea that they needed to do something in order to get recognized for doing something. Um, And interesting point, there was a court decision, a federal judge did uh, basically rule against the, to explain it, basically they allowed for DACA petitions to be processed again. And the Department of Homeland Security has begun to do that. So if people did petition for DACA, their petition was kind of in a waiting status. They are now allowed to process those again. But it's still very much up in the air on whether or not that's going to be able to continue. And they're not accepting any new petitions at this time. So how does this leave all of these people? You know, you were talking about, um, Rachel, you were talking about the idea that this this status allows people to live their lives. DACA grants people work permits. It grants people the ability to remain in this country legally and you renew it every two years. And so we're at this place where we have all these people that their status is in limbo. And, you know, what does that mean for these individuals? And and why do you think our legislature can't come to a point where they can make it more solid for people? 
I think we they can come to the point where it's more solid, and we did that with DACA because DACA isn't perfect, mm-hmm. but it addre- it was for the first time like the issue uh, was addressed at all. You know, we've been talking about it for years, people kind of living in the shadows for years. And, and finally, we had some sound legislation. Um, I, I I think um, there's this need because, you know, immigration, illegal immigration and the wall were, were kind of uh, made an issue um, in the last election that the party, the Republican Party now feels the need to address it. And the fact is, immigration, this DACA is tied in with immigration and illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've if you're going to yell and scream about that as part of your political platform, you now have to address it. I, I, th- I think DACA did something very important. It, it actually it, it attempted to address the needs. We have that, what you're just describing. It's just that um, I think the Republican Party has decided to make it a point to make immigration an issue. And so if well, immigration <laughs> immigration was we a have big to, issue. People are going to yell about DACA. <laughs> during the election, it yeah. was one of those big issues that kind of polarized yeah. the landscape. You know, whether or not we should allow people to come into the country, what types of people we should allow come into the country, you know, what should our immigration process look like? That's been a point of contention between the different parties for, you know, as, as long as I've been following politics. Is there ever going to be a solution that's going to not cause this turmoil? What do you think? I don't know. It would have to, we would have to have a transformation of public sentiment, I think. You mm-hmm. know, it would have to be in a different place uh, as a society um, to get enough people to sign on mm-hmm. so that Congress could pass a more permanent bill. Mm-hmm. I think that... Um, Part of this is, uh, I think, uh, the fact that they kept renewing this over and over again, because it's supposed to be temporary, Mm -hmm. was a big mistake. And I think once they engaged in that without uh, without thinking about it, I think it's their mistake that these people have been here for 20 years and or more. And if they have children, they don't know. This happened in France as well. Um, You have these kids who are like 18 20 years old they're in the middle of college some of them they don't know the language of their of their parents homeland and they have no idea about the culture mm-hmm. and then you expect and they're american in every way you could imagine they go to schools in america they I mean they have american friends and then you send them back to this place they have no attachment to mm-hmm. and to struggle through that I think that is like a huge mistake. And I think that if what if the point of this was to give them temporary status of safety, I think that the legislature should have worked it out better in order to not cause this situation. And now that they've caused it, I don't think they have another option except to allow these people to stay. Well, and we have the other piece that's hanging in the balance, which is the non-renewal of temporary protected status for countries like El Salvador and Haiti you know, those countries that Trump referenced with his comments and how that leaves so many people in limbo now being forced to either leave the country or face deportation. And, you know, what does it say about our country when we're supposed to be this land of immigrants that we're now saying, no, on second thought, you need to go back home? We're also, what does it say about us when we say we're a land of opportunity? Mm -hmm. And the people protect, you know, who 
are able to be here under stay here under DACA and protected status. These are people who have come here but led productive lives and contributed to society. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were a, you know if you were someone who was brought to this country by your parents illegally at a, a very young age and you have a felony record, you're not staying under DACA. Like we've we've addressed this in the legislation. These mm-hmm. are people who can go on and and you know hold down you know on the books jobs, therefore pay taxes, be taxed. It contrib- they're part of they're contributing to society in many ways. We've what does it say when we we say we're led of opportunity, but you we, we'll let you come here and contribute and become a part of this this framework of our our nation. Uh, but n- now you're going to go because you know we just feel like it right now. At the times, it, it, like at a whim, seemingly mm-hmm. you can just go as far. You know, it's. I mean, we're going as long as there is xenophobia in the world. There's going to be anti-immigration se- sentiment. It's just when it it leaches its way, creeps its way into our politics to such an extent that people who are okay and living their lives one day and are in custody tomorrow yeah. that that's what we we have a serious problem that that sense of stability and safety needs to be there for people this sounds like the trail of tears because we've allowed these people to own homes we've allowed these people to start businesses we've allowed these people to become american in every way and what are they going to do with their homes their businesses their educations all these things that they can't take with them to Haiti and have a completely drastically different life suddenly. I think that this is a huge deal. I don't think anyone is actually thinking about all these people who even... There are people who depend on these people who are also not immigrants. You know, these people are have friends. They are... um, I mean, if they're married, they can probably get paperwork through uh, through that, but... These are an integrated. They're part of our society now. It's mm-hmm. it's to me. It's too late. It makes no sense. If you want to send, if you want to give somebody temporary status, that's like five years. To me, that's like five years, maximum ten years. But when you're pushing the time period we've had now, that's no longer temporary. That's mm-hmm. a thirty years is considered a generation, mm-hmm. and and this has almost been going on about that long. Absolutely. Well, we have some audio of some people out in New York that also have opinions about DACA and about the Trump's administration's plans with immigration. So we'll take a listen to that right now. I'm not really sure what uh, is going on, to be honest. It seems to change by the day uh, and get worse. You know, so he's ended uh, temporary protected status uh, for Salvadorians. And, yeah, there's lots of reasons why that's problematic. Punishing the dreamers is it's the demonization of a whole uh, section of our society. And I mean, what, what it's like, why don't you just make them wear the equivalent of, uh, you know, yellow stars or something. I mean, it's just disgusting. And um, I mean, these are people that want to, you know, study, uh, study hard, work hard, contribute to society, you know, uh, raise their kids in this country. And I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be able to. Um, Sending them, you know, punishing them, deporting them. It just, you know, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. Not to mention the fact that it's totally racist and uh, it's not what this country is about. You know, that's the pragmatic reason. That's the real politic reason. It's like, hey, if you're going to deport people, don't deport kids who want to live here and work and speak English and all that, you know. Um, I mean, that's a shitty reason too, right? I mean, we should be able to um, make room for lots of people in our rich, big country. Uh, And, you know, we've also caused as a country a lot of problems in in other um, parts of the world. And so maybe part of uh, you know, dealing with that is, is saying, okay, well, if you need to come here, then you can come here. 
I think the frustrating thing about DACA is that they, you know, it was always meant to be a temporary thing in our legislation, and which is incredibly frustrating. And so my hope is that we have a clean dream act in, in order to preserve the integrity of this country. And, you know, this is why every day I pray and just call my congressman when I can and call my congressman when it's necessary. And knowing who's going to be making those kinds of decisions is really important. Now, after the break and some more Karen and the Sorrows, we'll talk about the Oprah speech that has everybody talking Oprah 2020, Chelsea's Manning's, Chelsea Manning's bid for Senate, and whether or not we should consider people for president and other high offices who've never held public office before. Now, make sure you check out all of our Radio Free Brooklyn shows at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. And while you're there, help donate to keep us on the air. You can click the big green donate button at the top of the page to make your donation. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. So last Sunday, Oprah Winfrey accepted the Cecil B. DeMille Award at the Golden Globes and made a speech many say sounded presidential. It fueled speculation and discussion about whether Oprah could be the next president. Later in the week, we heard that Chelsea Manning filed papers to run for the Senate. So we have these people now. We have a president that had no political experience before. And now others are entering the fray that may not have what we would typically consider as, you know, the background in politics suitable for an office like Senate or the president. Should that be criteria in having something, having a candidate, you know, in office or running for office that they have that political background or that political experience? What do you think? I'm very old school. I feel like the um, in order to do a good job at something that has a lot of responsibility attached to it, one has to acquire the experience in order for the judgment because a lot of these positions like senator and president, they're very powerful positions that hold a lot of responsibility. And a lot of, there are a lot of nuances to making hard decisions. Mm -hmm. And one can say, well, I worked in business and I've had to make hard decisions. Well, you haven't had to make hard decisions when there are nuclear weapons involved, when there are people's livelihoods on a large scale at stake. There isn't, I think that one has to understand all of that. And one has to have had to work with people on a level that has nothing to do with financial gain mm -hmm. in order to be, it's like when business people want to run a nonprofit. I mean, when you're working with people in a different way, you have to have that experience. And while I'm not going to negate the idea that Oprah Winfrey would be a great leader, I think that um, if she doesn't have the experience of, of, uh, of the office, or of some political office, then her leadership will be ineffectual, just as the same way as as um, as Trump's leadership is ineffectual because he has no experience. I um, I feel like it, I love Oprah. By the way, Sorry. oh yeah, <laughs> this is not to say we don't love Oprah here or anything like that, but I think I Oprah does she she. And this is not the first time, you know, just because she sounded presidential at this speech, it's not like she she can sound presidential. She is a great orator. Mm -hmm. She reaches people and connects. People feel connected to her. That's a gift that she has. Um, she, I don't know that running for office is really um, maybe the best way she can contribute. She's someone definitely has capable of contributing to society and making um, um social changes and contributing to social change in a positive way. I don't know if running office is the best way to go about it. I think a lot of us are feeling so desperate for a change in leadership. We might be inclined to look anywhere. <laughs> so we're going to look to Oprah. Um, and generally speaking, I, I like seeing um, uh, people, if they want to get involved um, in, in public office, um, it, work your way up through the ladder, start small you know, don't dive into the deep end of the pool because it, it's the pool. It can get very deep uh, or at least um, before you run at this at a larger, bigger deal state level, um, be involved with um, grassroots organizations. Some have some kind of public servant civil service experience before you think about running for office. I think Oprah is too big a name and too recognizable to like run for her local city council. We were talking about this earlier, yeah. but yeah, no, this and the same thing. Um, we were talking about Chelsea Manning. Um, 
you know, Chelsea, good for you. Start a little smaller, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Go a little local and, and decide if this is right for you also. You know? Yeah, because what if you get into office and you decide, no, I don't want to do this, you know, then you're you're a senator, you know, or you're, you know, and you don't get to do that. Then. You <laughs> yeah, it, it's a whole different ball game. What do you think, Violet? Uh, I think it, I think like something like over for president is a funny joke that people would say, like, uh, you know, maybe like two years ago and everyone would laugh and say yes and make a mock up of the Obama change thing, which they did. And then we would go away because, on. like, no one's serious about that. Like, a ce- celebrity is president, you know? It's only in the Trump era that we're like, hmm, Oprah is president? Well, would she get the popular vote? Like, you know? <laughs> well, it's- I mean, we have to admit he he reestablished the president, right? Right. He, he really did change how people view what it takes to get to that office. And for a lot of people, they found the fact that he didn't, come from the establishment he was outside of the political sphere as a benefit now we're we're wondering you know what that benefit or if that benefit is actually true but we're at this point now you know he trump was not the first president to come from celebrity but the ones that had ronald reagan is a name that comes up ronald reagan was a governor he was a union leader he had experience in those spheres in the public spheres that did give him more credibility for the office um what about this idea that, you know, we only have a couple of minutes. So I'll just ask this. Do you think that there is somebody out there that would be better for 2020 that Oprah could maybe throw her celebrity behind to support? Oh, plenty of people off the top of my head. Kamala Harris, you know, um, anybody have any other thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Oprah might serve the cause better by throwing her being public and supportive of a candidate. Um, Cory Booker. Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? I think those two, those two are pretty, pretty high up on my list as well. Um, but I think, you know, there, it's very important. In my opinion, it's very important that somebody goes in and understands how the sausage is made, to, mm-hmm. to, so to speak. You know, it's, there's a lot of wheeling and dealing. There's a lot of procedures and process that need to be known and understood before somebody can be effective as the senator or as the president or even as the mayor, for instance, you mm-hmm. know, so it's about learning and understanding. And, you know, if Oprah, for instance, does feel like she would want to be in office or Chelsea Manning, then that's great. Get involved and and come up the ranks or at least get some experience that would lead you to be effective in that role, in those roles. That's that's kind of my thought. Um, and I think a lot of people are there. But Oprah for president does sound kind of cool. So there, there's also that as well. Um, any final thoughts before we go? It's been an interesting, interesting show from Hawaii to Oprah for president. <laughs> Just because something sounds cool. And again, don't I'm not hating on Oprah. Does not mean it's a good idea? <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah well, that's that that goes. Yes, I think that they think those are good words to leave on. Just because it sounds cool doesn't mean it's a good, good idea. idea. Thanks so much for the panelists. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you, you, Rachel. Thank you, you, Violet, for coming on the show. Next week, we'll be back. Same time, same channel right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. We will see you then. Bye. Bye.